This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 1-0 to Marcus Simeon. This one hit well. Out to left field. It is gone! A leadoff home run by Marcus Simeon. And the Rangers waste no time in striking first today. So Josh Young... And he hits this one over third. That's a base hit. Lowe scores easily. Garcia heading to third base. The throw going to second. And in there is Josh Young with the RBI double. Josh Young staying hot. The 0-2 pitch. And this one swung on and lifted to center field. That should do it. Tavares underneath it. And that's a ball game. Rangers win it 3-2. And Will Smith with career save number 100. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, May 25th, 2023, and we have a lot of things to get to. We're going to start by asking, are the Texas Rangers for real? They are 31-18 and in first place in the West. We're going to get into how the Dodgers are somehow making it work. The roster always seems to be falling apart, and yet they have the best record in the National League. We're going to get into is Yandy Diaz the best hitter in baseball. For those of you who have been listening to us for some time, you know how excited we are to get into some Yandy Diaz takes. Uh, We're going to talk about what Christopher Morell of the Cubs is into, nine homers in 13 games. And as always, we will end with a pair of guys that you should know more about. I'm pretty excited about my guy because there's some fun things to get into. Uh, Matt, first, the Texas Rangers, uh, they have the most runs scored in baseball and as i wrote for the site which will go up tomorrow they put up some pretty historic let's say year to year to year improvements uh two years ago in 2021 they had the third fewest runs in baseball last year 12th this year is first do you know how many teams in the 30 team era which goes back to 1998 has gone from bottom three in runs scored to best in three seasons i'm not gonna let you answer the answer is nobody Obviously, it hasn't happened yet. The Rangers need to get through the remainder of the season, which like, we'll get into that. Um, the closest would be the 2006 to 2008 Cubs, who went from third worst to second best in a span of three years. There's lots of reasons why. I want to get into all of them. Full stop, that's super impressive, right? Like, I think of all the 30 teams in baseball, if we were to rank them by which ones have surprised us most in a positive way, like, okay, maybe the Pirates, maybe the Orioles, but it's probably the Rangers above everybody else. You said it, and I actually think it kind of buries the lead a little bit because that they have the most runs scored in baseball because, like, for all the hype around the Rays' offense, and there's been considerable hype about, you know, all the home runs they've hit, we have actually hyped that up as recently as, oh, one week ago. As recently as maybe six minutes from now when we talk about Yandy Diaz. <laughs> exactly. But the fact the Rangers have – I don't think – I don't think that's really – that's kind of gone unnoticed, weirdly, that they have scored more runs than the Rays. And, you know, that's – that is definitely a surprise. There's some reasons behind it, but you know, I talked about Jonah Heim on this podcast a couple weeks ago as like my guy. He's been great. Marcus Simeon's been great. Josh Jung's been great. Adolis Garcia has been the best version of himself. Um, so like there's a lot of good here. Perhaps most amazing, Corey Seager has barely played, although when he has played, he has raked. Um 
So there's there's a lot that to be happy about if you are a fan of the Texas Rangers. Yeah, we're mostly going to focus on the offense here, though. I do want to talk about their pitching for a minute before we move on at the end here. Here's the thing. like, there's There are reasons why they've gotten this this good. There's, I guess I would categorize it in three ways. Um, they got better players. Right? Like You go back to that 2021 team that lost 102 games. I don't have the exact quote handy here. I wish I did. Uh, it was either Chris Young or John Daniels. I'm pretty sure it was Chris Young. Said something along the lines of, uh, we need help everywhere. Like saying it without saying it is like we don't have enough talent on this team, which is absolutely true. Uh, so if you go back to that team, there were 19 guys who took 50 plate appearances just two seasons ago. Exactly four of them are still on the club, right? Jonah Heim, uh, Nathaniel Lau, Leody Tavares, and Adolis Garcia. They have completely renovated things. Big free agent signings and Semyon and Seeger, uh, Josh John coming up, you know, trades they've made. And then all four of those guys have improved. I mean, you talked about Jonah making a massive improvement. Leonardo Tavares looks great all of a sudden. So it's like, how do I make my uh, below average run scoring team better? Well, I'm going to completely renovate the roster with new players and improve the players I had. Easier said than done, but that's a pretty good way to go about it. Here's the thing though. Um, and this is kind of what I wrote about just because when you have a you have a leaderboard that's this funny, you kind of can't not go with it. Did you know that they are now the second highest OPS of all time? with runners in scoring position. It was actually first highest yesterday. It was a better headline yesterday. No thank you to the Texas Rangers. Now they're second highest behind only the 1930 Yankees, who had a couple of guys you may have heard of, Ruth, Gehrig, some other dudes. And this is really interesting to me because this is why they're scoring so many runs. With the bases loaded, uh, excuse me, with the bases empty, average, like almost exactly average, 15th in batting average, 17th in OPS. And... You and I have both been doing this long enough to know that that kind of points to that's probably not going to last. And like it won't in the sense that I don't think they'll lead the majors and run scored. And I don't think they'll be as good as the 1930 Yankees in scoring position. However, there are two things working in their favor. As you mentioned, Corey Seeker will presumably play more than he has. And um, it really just seemed like they've made some approach changes with with runners on, like Marcus Simeon told the Dallas Morning News, like we're, we're trying to find better pitches with those situations. Uh, and it's true. I, I kind of concocted this launch angle thing that turns it into liners and low flies. I didn't want just air balls because some fly balls don't help you. And um, with the bases empty, they hit those high value balls 21st most. And with the runners in squirt position, it's third most now. Could you just do that with the bases empty? I don't know. I'm not a professional baseball player, but it's like, is it luck? Of course it's luck. But also something is you can make your own luck. Let's say it's both of those things. What's interesting in the piece, which listeners can read on MLB.com, you also make the comparison to the San Diego Padres, who are actually better with the bases empty than the Rangers have been, but are almost like historically bad thus far with with runners in scoring position. So basically, like, the Rangers are probably this year's biggest overachieving team. The Padres might be thus far this year's biggest underachieving team, and I use those terms relative to preseason expectations. And it seems like it can almost entirely be be explained by their respective performance with runners in scoring position because otherwise, like, you know, with no one on base, they're basically about the same. Yeah, I think listeners who have been following, let's say, uh, advanced baseball stats for some time, this will really resonate with them. I didn't put it in the piece because I didn't want to be a bummer, but one of the more recent non-Babe Ruth era teams that had this like crazy runners in scoring position number was the 2013 Cardinals, which you may remember as the year that Alan Craig hit out of his mind for six months and was basically out of the big leagues the next year. And I remember this is, you know, it's, it's 10 years ago. It was sort of 
earlier in the stats movement where people were just like, it's a skill. The Cardinals have a skill. They can definitely do this. And then the next year they scored like 200 fewer. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, you don't, you don't want to be a wet blanket about it. But generally speaking, it doesn't translate from year to year. That's why it's hard to call it a skill. Like, you'll see teams one year lead the league in batting average or runners in scoring position. The next year be terrible at it. So it's like if, it, if there was some consistency to it, you could put a little more weight behind it. Right now, they're riding the wave. But the, as you said, Seager hasn't played much. Jacob DeGrom has not pitched much. So there are some things in there that like could work in their favor that maybe like, okay, when their performance with runners in scoring position goes down a little bit, that maybe there are some other things that could 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 bring them could bring them up. I want to go back to something. I want to go back to Marcus Simeon for a second because you mentioned him before. And I looked something up before, just before we got we started to record, that kind of blew my mind. You know, I've been thinking about Simeon recently, playing very well this year. Last year he was terrible for the first six weeks of his new contract and then was like pretty much Marcus Simeon the rest of the year. And I was like, I bet you if I look up like, you know, the war leaders over the last five years, he's probably like been one of the top 10 players in baseball. I looked up in baseball reference, position player war over the last five years, starting in 2019. So this would be the fifth season. Do you know where Marcus Simeon ranks? Uh, let's see. Trout and Betts and Jose Ramirez would be my guesses for top three. So he's going to be like fifth or so. He is second. Behind Aaron Judge. Oh, and I forgot Aaron Judge. Of course I did. Wow. (laughs) Really? Well, Trout's missed a lot of time. I actually was surprised. I would have thought Betts and Jose Ramirez would have been ahead of him. It's Judge at 25 and change, Simeon at 24 and change, Betts at 23 and change, no one else above 22. Wow. I mean, that's that's incredibly impressive. I guess that's also including that last year he had with Oakland where he was um, extremely good and was third in the MVP. So that's a good year, too. He's been third in the MVP twice. He's had a, like, a very quiet, like a remarkably good, quiet career. Actually, very similar to a former Rangers second baseman, Ian Kinsler. Like this guy was like a very good player who did a lot of things above average, but wasn't like a superstar at anything and ended up like Ian Kinsler is one of those guys. If you look at his career war, I think he's probably ahead of like. 20% of Hall of Famers, right? Like, I'm not advocating for Ian Kinsler for the Hall of Fame, but just one of those guys who had a career that's better than you probably thought it was. And Marcus Simeon is, like, very much having the same same type of career and has been excellent for the, the Rangers thus far this year. Yeah, I think that's totally right. The one thing we can say we know for sure about the Rangers is they put a lot of effort into turning over a roster that wasn't very good, right? Trades, huge free agent contracts. So whether you know, sustains like this or not, like credit is due to them for putting all this work in. Here's the question I had for you, because I did want to talk about their pitching for a second. Um, Nathan Evaldi has been fantastic. I guess I have two questions for you. Nathan Evaldi has been unbelievable. In his last five starts, he's allowed four runs. And I was looking at Nathan Evaldi's career and he's been around forever. You know, like he was, he was in the Hanley Ramirez trade. Maybe most known for, Which one? <laughs> uh, uh, fair, uh, mostly best known for the 2018 World Series, I guess. And as I was thinking about Nathan Evaldi's career, and he's you know he's bounced around to a bunch of teams and he's gotten hurt and everything. He is 33 years old. It's his 12th year in the majors because he came up kind of young. He's not obviously a Hall of Famer. Like let's not go nuts here. He's going to go down as maybe one of the most under-respected, very good pitchers. You never think about him as a top 20 or top 30 pitcher, and you always kind of assume, hey, that guy throws 100. He's probably going to have like a three-year career. He's been around for a long time, and yes, there've been ups and downs, and you know wasn't very good the year after the World Series in Boston, but. Here he is, and he looks great. And I just I feel like we don't talk about him enough as like uh, not an ace, but a, a very good number two at times. Like this guy's been around, and he's still doing it. It's great. And, I mean, at times, I mean, at, he is one of those guys. At times in his career, you'd look at his stuff, 
and be like, wow, this guy could be an ace. And then occasionally he will put up the numbers where you're like, uh, he kind of is. And right now, I mean, that's, I mean, he's basically doing, at least from a result standpoint, maybe what you would have hoped from, the, they would have been getting from DeGrom. So it's sort of balanced out some of, uh, some of the time that, that, uh, that, the, that DeGrom, DeGrom has missed. The, what I wanted to ask, and this is the actual question. So um, going back to what I said about the Rangers putting in a lot of time and effort into getting better players, if you look at their starting rotation this year, uh, everybody has been acquired, I think, in the last two years, right? Evaldi was signed this past winter. Martin Perez had been there before but left, and he came back before last year. John Gray, they signed before last year, the year before. Andrew Heaney, they signed this last winter. Jacob deGrom, they signed this last winter. That is an entirely new starting rotation. How many starting pitchers of the 2021 Rangers can you name? That's the thing. They've completely blown it up. And if you look at the top, let's see, nine, 10, 11. Actually, I think there might only be one guy on this team who started two years ago. And that's Dane Dunning, who has somehow not allowed a home run that this year. There were 14 guys who started a game for that team two years ago. 13 of them are no longer there. How many of them can you name? And I'm not actually going to sit here and wait 20 minutes for you to do this. Maybe the better question is, can you name any of them? Like, this is how far it's come. Corey Kluber? No, <laughs> not Corey Kluber. <laughs> Here, I'm going to read to you the uh, the five most prominent starting pitchers that year in terms of game started. Number one, Jordan Lyles. Number two is Dane Dunning, who's still here. Number three, Mike Fultonevich, who that year went 2-12. and 12, And I think that was the end of it for him. Uh, Kyle Gibson was there. I think uh, got traded away to the Phillies. Colby Allard. And then Taylor Hearn, who I guess is still in the organization, but he's not a starter. Other prominent names, Kohei Arihara, AJ Alexi, Wes Benjamin. It's a whole, I'd say it's guys you remember, except I'm not sure that you do. And that's not really to be disrespectful, but the point is Chris Young came out that year and said, we don't have a good team. Like our roster is not good enough. And they have turned it all around. He has moved up in the front office, new manager, obviously Bruce Bochy was brought in to do this. And as we kind of alluded to before, they've gotten this far very little from Jacob deGrom and only a partial season from Corey Seager. Like it's it's not going to last like this way. Jonah Hive's not the best catcher in baseball, but they're going to get stars back. The thing they're going to most need to do is do something about the bullpen. Their bullpen still feels kind of shaky. And so you have to imagine that they are going to be, because this is a team that wants to win. So like I could see at the deadline, they will be very aggressive in trying to, to, to add relief pitching. Cause that's one area where it definitely feels like the least sustainable thing about, about all of this. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week we have what we call our three batter minimum, where we pick three very interesting topics of the week. Our first one is about the Dodgers, who have the best record in the National League somehow. Every year, or for the last 10 years, if I would have said that, you'd be like, well, yeah, they're, they're the Dodgers. 
This year felt a little different. They didn't have a very exciting offseason, while the Padres certainly did. And they've had a ton of injuries so far this year, uh, starting with Gavin Lux in spring training, and now Julio Urias has a hamstring, and uh, Dustin May is injured, and they're still waiting for Walker Bueller to come back, and it's just like endless amounts of injuries. And yet they have the best record in the National League. They just took two out of three in Atlanta. Uh, they go to Tampa Bay, which will actually be a pretty fun series, I think. Fangrass says they have a 73% odds of winning the division. That is partially because the Padres aren't playing very well. 95% odds of making the playoffs. They are going to get to the playoffs, I think, as expected. I think we both picked them in the wild card. But I did not think they would have the best record in the National League at this point. And the thing is, it's not how you'd expect. Like Part of their reasoning for not going all out this winter uh, you know, maybe you could say they wanted to save for Shohei Otani, but that's a tough thing to gamble on a year from now. But, you know, they said they had a lot of these up and coming guys they wanted to give a shot, like James Outman, who's been very good. Uh, Miguel Vargas has been pretty good. Now they're sort of being forced to do it in the, the pitching staff a little quicker than you'd expect. So I have these two numbers to give you, which I think are very interesting. They have the oldest lineup in baseball, and that is even with James Outman and Miguel Vargas playing every day. They have an average batting age of 30.7 years old. Hopper baseball uh, reference. The pitching is the fifth youngest right now at 28 years old. Last year, it was league average. And that's because Bobby Miller is 24 and he looked great. Gavin Stone is 24 and he's been up. And they've had a couple other young guys. And yet when I look at the baseball reference rotation list right now for the team with the best record in the National League, uh, Clayton Kershaw, who is currently away on a bereavement leave and he'll be back soon. He's been very good. Urias is on the injured list. Dustin May is on the injured list. Noah Syndergaard has an ERA near six. This is the team with the best record in the National League. They've got bullpen issues, too. And I'm sort of torn, Matt, between they're the Dodgers. They've earned our trust. Absolutely. They have borderline Hall of Famers in Betts and Freeman and Will Smith. And yet I look at everybody who's hurt and the guys they're filling in with, and it's like, I don't always get it. It's kind of a weird outcome that they'd be this good in a way that just doesn't feel like the Dodgers way. I agree, but I think it's it kind of goes back to that, like, I'll believe in the Dodgers' demise when I see it, and I should have believed my own words when I predicted the Padres to win the division this year because the Dodgers seem poised to run away with that division again. I mean, you, you almost don't want to hand wave away like the fact like, hey, they have stars who are also playing like stars, and I think that sometimes gets overlooked. Like, I actually think that weirdly, Freddie Freeman has become underrated. I think his like greatness is kind of overlooked at this point. And you look up again, like last year, he had his highest ever weight run, full season weight runs created plus in his career last year with the Dodgers. It was basically like ignored. I don't even know where he finished the MVP vote. This year, he has basically the same numbers. This would be, if he keeps this up for the rest of this season or something close to it, it will be the second best what weighted runs created plus he's ever had in a full season. And it's kind of wild to me, you know, maybe this is some of the East Coast bias. I don't know, but like, he's amazing. Betts has been amazing. So, like, you start there, like, oh, their stars are playing like stars and both having, like, I mean, maybe not MVP seasons because, barring injury, Acuna is going to win it, but uh, in the National League, that is. But, like, that's a good starting point. And I think that also people kind of, like, you know, forgot about Max Muncy after how bad he was for most of last year. And, like, oh, wow, Max Muncy looks like Max Muncy again. It's, like, those three plus Will Smith, it's, like, those are four stars. It's, like, almost superstar offensive players. And it's kind of easy to kind of just, like, almost – overlook that but i think kind of think we and i say we including me kind of did you kind of like how max muncie has a career low batting average on balls in play despite the shift limitations he was one of the guys everybody would be like yeah no shift 
Grillo, which is hilarious to me. Um, they've been getting some life out of the uh, older guys they've signed. Like JD Martinez has been pretty decent, better than I thought he'd be. Jason Hayward, who everybody thought was cooked, has a 115 OPS plus, and he's hitting the ball pretty hard. And he's he's playing decent defense, but they're in this kind of weird spot where they have some spots on the roster that are just not working out. Like Trace Thompson was supposed to be a dude for them after last year. He is hitting 109 right now. I don't know how much you care about offense from the backup catcher, but Austin Barnes has six hits. <laughs> it's it's almost Memorial Day. He has six hits. That's not going to cut it. And don't forget also, that was after Will Smith missed like two weeks with a concussion problem, so Barnes is playing a lot more. And then Syndergaard does not look good. Like He does not even look like a guy who can give you the, the innings that they need. Um, Yancy Almonte has an ERA of 7.71. I they'll they'll make it work because I don't know that I trust the Padres and I don't think the Diamondbacks have it all in them. Um but what they're basically doing is they're winning on power. They have the fourth best slugging percentage despite like the seventh weakest batting average, which is fine by me. I just they're going to need a starter except everybody's going to need a starter. You know, like we talked about this with the Braves, talked about this with a whole bunch of other teams, the Orioles. I can't I can't shake the feeling that they're going to be the team that does like some massive package deal for Tim Anderson and either Dylan Cease or Liam Hendricks. Like I cannot think of a better fit for those guys than the Dodgers, except for maybe also the Braves. I don't know. But like that's that's how this has to go, right? Yeah, because I, th- I mean, that is the one thing that I think could catch up to the Dodgers a little bit is just like Dustin May's now hurt. Julio Arias is hurt. Arias is like, I want to blow up the spot of our our friend Andrew Simon, who like a month ago was like, he like jumped in Slack and he slacked you and me and was like, have you guys noticed that like, Based on ERA plus, Julio Arias, like through age twenty six, is like one of like the ten greatest pitchers ever. And then like basically since that day, <laughs> he's had like a twelve ERA, and then is now hurt. Um, so it's like they're going to run into the issue not just of like quality, just like quantity. Like, where are you getting the innings from? Because um, obviously, you know, we already know Kershaw is not someone who's going to give deep into games. And so it's like that. I could see maybe there'd be a little bit of an attrition there, but I know that that front office is going to be. I'm sure they're very well aware of this fact. And as you said, um, we'll be active in trying to figure out some way to to mitigate that because, you know, you don't really know what you're going to get from May, you know, when he comes back. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, They're playing the Rays. I'm very excited to see that. So let's move on to our second topic. Yandy Diaz. I'm so excited to talk about Yandy Diaz. I knew he was having a very good season. I didn't realize until yesterday when I looked at the weighted runs created plus leaderboards, he is number one on a list where Aaron Judge is number two, and Jordan Alvarez is number three. Uh, those aren't just dudes with a capital D. Those are the kings of dudes. If you've been listening to us for, I don't know, six-ish years, you know that we've been talking about Yandy Diaz since like 2017 when he came up with Cleveland because he was one of the very first, oh my God, look at this guy's exit velocity numbers, right? And on, we've talked about this on a number of occasions. There's a, there's a famous picture floating around of him flexing his biceps and they're like bigger than my entire apartment. Like the man is just muscles on top of muscles. And the reason he never really became a, a super duper star is because he hit the ball on the ground too much. He could never really get it off the ground despite excellent plate discipline. But I do remember uh, when Cleveland traded him to Tampa Bay uh, for Jake Bowers, among other people. I remember thinking it was an absolute heist because Bowers, I didn't think, was going to amount to much. And he's kind of floated around a little bit. And I was surprised that Cleveland would get Diaz, would let Diaz go because there's a team that always needs offense. It's Cleveland. So Tampa Bay got him. And he's been pretty good, right? 25% above average over the last four years. Last year, 143 OPS plus, one of six guys with more walks and strikeouts. And you sort of figured that's just who he was going to be, right? The guy who hit the ball really hard, great eye at the plate, but just put it on the ground too much. Well, here's the fun trick. For the first time this year, 
He has the ground ball rate under 50%, and he's doing it at the same time as having a career-high hard hit rate. This from a guy who already crushed the ball, and that's how you get to be the best hitter in baseball, uh, I guess. I kind of thought it was just going to be a hot start. His OPS in April was like an even 1,000. Well, it's better in May. And given what we know about him, we know the plate discipline is excellent. Like, that's not new. Uh, We know he's strong as hell. That's not new. If this new version of him, where he's getting the ball off the ground just a little bit more, is real, then this isn't a two-month fluke. This is MVP, Yandy Diaz. Words I've been waiting six years to say. I really, really hope this this sustains all year long. I'm very excited about this. And I had th- I had thought until I looked it up today that in my mind, I for some reason, I thought it was like a Jake Bowers, Yandy Diaz challenge trade, but it's actually it not. It was, three, it was the three-team yeah. trade in which... Uh, the Guardians got, or the, the then Indians, now Guardians, got Carlos Santana back from the Mariners. Edwin Encarnacion went from the Guardians to the Mariners. Um, Diaz went from Cole, Cole Solster was also involved. So it was like the three-way trade, which I have yeah. no recollection of. And I believe the Rays kicked in money to make it happen, which is unusual for them, which shows you how much they wanted Yanni Diaz <laughs> correctly. Yeah, and the, the Rays, I think, you know, Diaz was good last year. He had a really high OBP, but the power was still not like, was still, you know, he had a 401 OBP, but only slugged 423. The Rays clearly felt that something was up because they signed him to a three-year extension, a three-year $24 million extension prior to this season. And man, is that looking good. <laughs> because even if he's the player he was last year, that's a that's a, a pretty good number. He actually got some down-ballot MVP love last year. This year, anything close to what he's doing continues. He will be getting some MVP votes near the top of the ballot. Yeah, I'm, you know, in a situation like this, I always want to know why. Like, how do you do this? Um, Adam Barry, who's our, our Rays beat reporter, he wrote, uh, the Rays encouraged him to be more aggressive when he's ahead in the count on pitches in which he can do damage. Like so many of these guys, it just comes back to pitch pitch decisions and swing decisions and stuff that's really hard to quantify and hard to actually do. But swing at the right pitches and not the wrong pitches will get you very, very far in baseball. He's also swinging at pitches a little higher in the zone. His average swing height is the highest of his career. So my guess is that they identified his swing path. And he's like, where, you know, where do those massive arms of you lead for your power? And it's probably a little higher in the zone. See if you can do a better job at picking out those pitches, which maybe you're more likely to get ahead in the count. I feel like that's the kind of thing teams would say to batters pretty much all the time. But what you need is a guy with a baseline of a great eye to be able to do that. Right. Like we look at Diaz, we talk about the muscles, but uh, like I said, more walks than strikeouts is incredibly impressive. And that maybe makes him more likely to be the kind of guy who could take that kind of advice and action it. You know what I mean? Not everybody could do that, but maybe a guy with this kind of play discipline is uh, the right test case for it. You know, like it's never one size fits all. I don't know what they did to Taylor Walls. I doubt it was exactly the same thing, even though he's having a great year too. Our third topic is, have you noticed what Christopher Morell is up to? Uh, nine homers in 13 games. He had homers in five games in a row uh, prior to yesterday. Since 1900, only one player hit more homers than Morell in their first dozen games of a season. Perhaps you've heard of Mike Schmidt who hit 11 in 1976. He is the first player, Morel, not Mike Schmidt, in MLB history to have a hit and a run in the first 12 games he played in the season. And um, I think this is my favorite one. Tony Andraki, who works for the Marquee Network, he went and looked up Morel's uh, AAA stats and he combined them. In 41 games combined between AAA and the majors, Morel is slashing 341, 419, 805 with 20 home runs already. I don't think he's going to keep that up. But what's fascinating is if you look at how he's played, he played second base when Nico Horner was hurt. He played center field because Bellinger's hurt. 
He has an absolute cannon of an arm, but he's probably best served as a DH. And the Cubs have sort of shifted things around, right? Like they let go of Eric Hosmer. They're playing Mervis at first base. I think I read Kyle Hendricks is coming back this weekend. That's pitching actually really t- pitch, fun. I'm excited. Pitching tonight, actually. Pitching tonight, actually. It's pitching tonight, even better. And um, I think there was some maybe you see a player like Morell do this, and he's a guy who had a little bit of success last year, and you sort of go, well, what were the Cubs thinking not putting this guy on the opening day roster? And so I read a little bit about it, and they're like, listen, had a ton of strikeouts down the stretch last year, not a lot of walks. We weren't sure we'd give him everyday plate appearances, you know, because we had Horner at second, and we signed uh, Dansby Swanson and just the way the roster was going to come together, and Bellinger and Hosmer and Mancini and all this. We want him to play every day and make better decisions, and we think that benefited him coming up. Like, I'm paraphrasing pretty heavily there. But... I think you it, you kind of look at this and you go, man, the Cubs would be better if you had this performance all year. But if that was a decision that was made to help get to this performance, I have a hard time criticizing them about it, I think. Not that you know you expect him to hit nine home runs every 13 games <laughs> for the rest of the year anyway. <laughs> but what if he does? <laughs> but what if? What if? <laughs> He kind of, I mean, like he kind of feels a little bit like the spiritual successor to Javi Baez. Like there's some there's some real similarities there in terms of approach, um, and there and you know, the arm. There's like he's he's an exciting electric player, but like you know he will swing and miss a lot. I mean, la- even I mean last year when he made contact, he was great. His expected weight on base on contact was 447, which is you know top you know the upper echelons of the league this year so far it is 689 to give you an indication of how he's doing so far but his his strikeout rate is actually up and his walk rate is actually down and i was like i was watching he had a bat again last night and the against kodai senga of the mets and it was like he had an 0-2 count in like the fifth inning man on first two outs and I was like, well, obviously he's just like, you know, throw a slider in the dirt or like, you know, the ghost fork in the dirt. And he somehow threw like a fastball up in the zone and he like smoked it like 107 <laughs> seven miles an hour off the bat for a base hit. Um, so he has, I mean, he has loud tools. He's an exciting player. I think he's a guy who can be pitched to, but the combination of the loud tools and the versatility makes him like a, a very fun and useful player. The Cubs are only four and a half games out of first place somehow. And a lot of that's because the rotations, for the most part, been pretty good. Stroman's been very good. Steele's been excellent. Drew Smiley's been fantastic. Uh, Jamison Tyone has not. Like they could use a lot more from him. And if you get Hendricks back, all of a sudden this is a a pretty decent rotation. I'm just not sure what to make of the lineup. Like Dansby Swanson has been pretty good. Um, Mervis has been okay, I guess. Like anybody could win the Central because by definition somebody has to. Which I guess you could say for both of the divisions. I don't feel like it's going to be the Cubs. But I do feel like they have maybe achieved their goal of taking that step forward from non-competitiveness just to being in the mix. And the next year is the step forward to you know, actually trying, not trying to, but actually like being in contention to win the division. They, they could stay in it. Like, I mean, right now, Cody Bellinger is on the IL. He was playing well, although it was unclear if that was sustainable. But like, he's a huge wild card. And there's some, you know, they're getting Hendricks back who could be serviceable. There's just like some reasons to believe that like in this division, which has no powerhouse team, that they could stick around, which is fun. Um, I think that they will not win the division, but I think that they will come closer than I think they will right now. We'll, we'll put it that way. They'll be within five games at the end of the season. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's the world's most scorching take given the state of the NL Central, but it is a take I will make nonetheless. We'll take a quick break and we'll be come back with a pair of guys you need to know more about.
We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimension podcast. Each week, Matt and I like to focus on a pair of guys that you should know a little bit more about, maybe some under-the-radar dudes. Would you believe that my guy leads the National League in ERA? That's Bryce Elder, who has a 201 ERA, which I was shocked to find leads the National League. That's incredible. And, you know, this is not like a highly touted guy. So I figured we got to talk about Bryce Elder. And we got to talk about him right now because the underlying stats maybe do not suggest this is going to last. He has a 447 expected ERA and a 345 FIP and an 87% left on base percentage would be something like the highest ever. And I, I don't say that to denigrate what he's done. Just, you know, Spencer Strider's underlying stats indicate this guy is a dude. He's for real. Bryce Elders are more like he's a good ground baller who pitches in front of an inconsistent infield defense. However, Here's an amazing stat for the man who does lead the NL in ERA. If you look at this StatCast run values by pitch, it will tell you which pitches, like pitcher and pitch type, are the most valuable in baseball. Tied at the top are two Atlanta Braves pitches. You would have thought Spencer Strider's four-seamer. It's just a little bit behind. No, Charlie Morton's curveball, which has been great forever, and Bryce Elder's slider. And that is right ahead of Yanir Cano's sinker and Framber Valdez's sinker and the four-seamers of Joe Ryan and Garrett Cole. So even if I don't think Elder's going to lead the league in, in ERA, that's incredibly impressive. And I want to tell you a little bit about how he got here and two facts about Bryce Elder that are important. He was a fifth round pick in 2020 out of the University of Texas at Austin. And if you go back and look at that Braves 2020 draft, it is something else. There were only five rounds that year, obviously. Uh, their first round pick was Jared Schuster, who has pitched in the majors this year and will pitch uh, more for them. So that's a success. They didn't have a second round pick because they gave it up to sign Will Smith, the reliever who helped them get to the World Series in 2021. Their third round pick uh, was an outfielder named Jesse Franklin, who hasn't done much in the minors. Number four, Spencer Strider. And number five, Bryce Elder. As far as five rounds of draft picks go, that's pretty good. He once quit baseball. So in fifth grade, he tired of like traveling around and playing travel ball. And he became an excellent youth golfer. He gets to high school. He says, I'm going to try out for the freshman baseball team. But the baseball coach said no, because it would conflict with golf and you have to pick one or the other. So he didn't play baseball. He's a, he's a freshman not playing baseball. The next year, there was a new baseball coach who had different rules. And he said, sure, I, you, I'd love to have you play for us. And obviously, he was successful and he went to college and joined the Braves. The other thing you need to know about Bryce Elder is this absolutely incredible headline. At MLB.com, a high quality baseball site from February of this year. Here's the headline. And I quote, Elder is finally free of lucky beard everyone hated. And there is an amazing side-by-side picture, which barely looks like the same person. Uh, I encourage you to go look for this. You have on the right side, like a very handsome looking young man. And on the left side, someone who is more beard than man. You can barely see his face behind it. And here are the first two paragraphs of the story that our Mark Bowman wrote. And I quote, Bryce Elder arrived at spring training without the big, bushy, good luck beard his mother, grandmother, and Braves manager Brian Snicker hated. Snicker made some comments last year, and I kind of thought he was joking, said Elder. Then I realized he wasn't. He made a comment quite a few times about how he likes a clean shaven. And I guess what had happened was uh, he had gone to the minors or on a rehab assignment or whatever and had forgotten his uh, toiletries kit, didn't have a razor, grew it out, pitched well, and that was his good luck beard until he realized everybody hated it. And he had to shave it off. We've gotten very far off the track of a man leading the NL in ERA. The one I saw that headline, I absolutely had to share it with you. I'm very much enjoying talking about Bryce Elder right now. Uh, that is, I'm going to have to go find out who wrote that headline. And uh, Was it you? No, it was not. It was not. It was, okay. <laughs> I'm not I don't, I've never thought of myself as that good, especially good headline writer. So I won't even, won't even try to take credit for that one. That one is, 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 is fantastic. Um, 
My guy for this week, you know, Mike sometimes gives me a hard time for picking people that are maybe too well-known. And the person I'm about to pick was at one point very well-known because he was the first pick of the draft. But he also, for a while, looked like he might be the biggest, bu- one of the biggest busts in draft history and is now in the major leagues and playing well and sort of like, you know, making a career for himself. And that's Mickey Moniak of the Los Angeles Angels. Moniak, if you have not been paying attention, in 10 games, eight starts, has three leadoff homers, which is tied with Mookie Betts and Kristen Yelich for the league lead. He is hitting 419, 438, 935, um, perhaps most endearingly after one of his recent home runs. Shohei Otani could be seen in the dugout doing some sort of Mickey Mouse ears celebration with him, which I thought was <laughs> which I thought was pretty awesome. So as I said, Moniak, as you may recall, was the first overall number number one overall pick in 2016, which was a draft where there was to be to be, I don't know, to be fair, but just like there was, it was not one of those like Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg years. There was no clear number one pick. Um, and man, that draft was be pretty much a dud. Moniak went number one. Um, Nick Senzel went two to the Reds. He's been, you know, okay. He's been decent this year. Ian Anderson to the Braves, other than his amazing performance in the 2020 postseason, has been pretty. Pretty mediocre. Riley Pint, who just made it to the majors for the first time after quitting baseball, uh, to the Rockies at number four, and Corey Ray at number five to the Brewers, who has exactly one big league game to his name. Um, that entire first, you actually have to go to the number 32 pick of the draft, the supplemental first round, to find an all star, and that is Will Smith. Now, what's interesting about that year is that after the first round, you got all sorts of all-stars. The second round featured Bo Bichette, Pete Alonzo, and Brian Reynolds. The third round had Zach Gallen, Sean Murphy, Austin Hayes, and Dustin May. The fourth round had Shane Bieber and Corbin Burns, two Cy Young winners. So that's pretty wild and just goes to show how hard it really is to identify players in the draft. Mickey Moniak. He never particularly played well in the minors. Um, he had a career 308 OBP, but he's also had some bad luck. He was actually supposed to make the Phillies opening day roster in 2022 and fractured his hand during the team's final exhibition game of the season. And I think just in almost like a change of scenery, he probably just for his benefit, um, got <laughs> more than anything, got traded. He got traded from the Phillies to the Angels last August, right at the trade deadline in a trade for Noah Syndergaard. Um, and... He's gotten a chance with the Phillies, and he's he's played well. I mean, like, over the last two years, he has 36 strikeouts and, and two walks. And this year, that's an 11-to-1 ratio. So there's some reason to be skept- skeptical of the long-term viability of M- Mickey Moniak. But, you know, I imagine for a baseball player, it is so hard to sort of carry that bust label and sort of, like, everywhere you go, that's, like, the first thing people think about when they, when they hear your name. It's like, oh, number one pick. This guy really didn't pan out. And, like... There's a good chance he'll kind of wear that to a certain degree no matter what, but it is cool to see him playing, playing well, and hopefully this is like the – I mean, he's not going to be a star, I don't think, you know, unless, you know, who knows, you never never say never, but even if he can just like have like a nice career as like a third, fourth outfielder, that would be cool considering where it all began. Another thing I learned, which I did not realize until I um, researched him for this, he's a grandfather, was a professional baseball player, never made it to the majors, but played in the minors six years in the Red Sox organization. Uh, that is a fascinating story. Uh, I le- I didn't realize this until I looked him up too. Um, he basically got sent home in this trade. He's from Encinitas, California, which is basically between Anaheim and San Diego, a little closer to the San Diego side. I have a 
I have a trivia question I don't have the answer to, and now I desperately need to know. Mickey Moniak was the number one pick in that draft in 2016, right? His manager for the Angels is Phil Nevin, who was the number one overall pick in the draft in 1992, perhaps best known as not being Derek Jeter, which is something I think he will have to wear for the rest of his life. Have we ever had a number one overall pick playing for a number one overall pick? I don't know the answer to that. I can't imagine there's many number one overall picks who have become managers. Is it maybe just Nevin? I not Ken Griffey Jr., right? Like, I don't know. Maybe you know. Um, now I'm trying now. Well, now I'm, let's, let's see. Just give me a quick, quick look. I thought, I th- for some reason, I thought Terry Francona might have been a number overall pick, but he was not. No. Oh, uh, he but he was a first round. He was a first round pick. Um, well, yeah. Um, most number one overall picks don't end up being managers, I guess, because either they're like mega superstars or they, they flame out. But um, we're not going to solve this in the next twenty five seconds. <laughs> but some, yeah, someone's I, eyeball, eyeballing the eyeballing the list. It does not look like it has otherwise happened. But um, we'll 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 verify it. And maybe we'll, we'll we'll look into it and, and try and verify it. Yes or no for the for the next podcast. So you will have to come back and listen next week. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that we do that. That will do it for our show this week. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.